I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Ellen Goodman. After becoming a caregiver, this award-winning journalist knew there had to be a way to improve end-of-life conversations. She is the inspiration behind the Conversation Project. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Hey! Hi, how are you? I'm good. First of all, I just wanted to welcome you to the podcast. You have been a mentor to me for so many years, and it's finally nice to meet you, even if it's via Skype, face-to-face, but it really is nice to be in your presence, and and I cannot tell you everything that you've done for educating people about advanced care planning. You've done a lot of great work, and I admire it. Well, thank you. It's been an important work in my encore career, I guess. <laughs> so it's great. That's right. Well, talk to me about being a caregiver to your mother, because this is sort of where it all began. Um, your your background has nothing to do with health care. Um, <laughs> but your mom got sick. Yeah, well, my mother began a long, slow decline um, in her late 80s. And by the time she hit 90, She had a lot of dementia, and um, she could no longer make decisions for herself. I mean, she couldn't decide what she wanted to have for lunch, let alone what she wanted for health care. And as it turned out, um, I had to make those decisions for her. And at the time, I had no idea (laughs) that I was going to have those decisions to be made. The first time the doctor asked me the question, it was like, excuse me, you know, I'm supposed to make those decisions. I really had no idea. My mother and I had really talked about everything. We were very close. Um, We had talked about everything except one thing, which is how she wanted to live at the end of her life and the care that she wanted and the care that she didn't want, the health care that she wanted and the health care she didn't want. So when she got ill, could you have those conversations or was she suffering from dementia that she could not communicate those wishes for to you? She, it was really too late. At the conversation project, we always say it's always too soon until it's too late. And that was the classic um, in that case. Well, looking back, what conversations would you want to have prior to your mom? mom getting really sick and could not communicate. So what were those conversations that you missed out on? Well, I think some of them had to do with how you want to live at the end of your life. Um, all the questions that we now have in the conversation starter kit about whether you want to make decisions for yourself, whether you want to be at home or uh, in a hospital, all of those sort of uh, technical conversations. But of course, also, at what what matters to you at the end of your life, uh, and whether you want health care, uh, you want to continue having advanced health care under certain conditions. So I think I would like to have known a little bit more. I knew my mom pretty well, so I felt like I I could understand where she was at this point in her life. 
but I had never actually asked her. And we know that, in fact, people and families are no more likely to know what their loved one wants than strangers. So, you know, we are often left guessing and often left feeling uncertain and guilty about whether we have done the right thing. Do you still worry about if you made the right decisions for your mom? Um, not, no, I don't still worry about that. But at the time, it was very stressful. Uh, I remember one day when I was on deadline and I got a call from the uh, doctor uh, who uh, saying my mom had another bout of pneumonia and did I want her to have... Um, uh, another antibiotic. And I thought, excuse me, are you asking me whether I want her to live or die? Is that, you know, uh, uh, is that what this belated conversation is about? Um, so that was very stressful. Um, and I, of course, I ultimately decided to say yes to more antibiotics. Um, and then uh, uh, she uh, she died anyway after that. So you thought there had to be another way. Yeah, I thought we all had to talk about this. I mean, why is this the elephant in the room? Why can't we talk about what matters to us at the end of our lives? We can talk about everything else. Um, and um, death is in some ways the last taboo. So what made you or inspired you or your first thoughts about creating a nonprofit organization? We all know it as the Conversation Project. How did that even evolve from your mother's experience to, man, we're not talking about this, to now you're a founder of a nonprofit with a clear mission of of communicating prior to a serious illness? What happened after my mother died is I began to talk to other people. And I'm a journalist, and it struck me that all I had to do was mention this and outpour a story. I've never seen anything quite like this, and everybody had a story. And I thought, whoa, I am not alone in this. And we really should be able to talk to each other about this. So I began to meet with a small group of people who were media and doctors and clergy and just regular people. And we all took off our professional hats and sat around and told our stories. And we each had a story. And that was really the beginning of it, that it began in storytelling. So where are you located? Because you're located pretty much in a, in a very innovative environment anyway. <laughs> well, we were extremely lucky to be given a home by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Um, they incubated us, and now we are a part of them. But it was really hugely lucky for a, a startup like us to be um, housed among people who really understand how change works. And how did that happen? Were you neighbors and thought, hey, here's an idea and we're doing this? How'd that come about? One of our original group worked for IHI. And she said, you know, let's talk to Don Berwick and Maureen Bisignano, who were at that time the heads of IHI, uh, and... Um, see what their thoughts are. So we went in and we talked with them and we were scheduled for a 20 minute visit. And an hour and a half later, <laughs> they said, um, what can we do to help? And of course, 
everybody had a story again and they helped us. They, uh, we had a, an experts meeting with people who had been in end of life care for decades and they were all incredibly frustrated that nothing had moved the needle. This was, you have to remember, at the height of death panels. That was, what, 2009? Well, it was more, it was, by the time we, we started, our first meeting was 2010, but it was still a somewhat toxic subject. Sure. I remember that. We launched, began the conversation, I believe, in 2009. And I was working at a hospice at the time, and my CEO was like, what are you kidding? Or, and I was like... This let's get into the conversation because even if it's controversial, we're still a part of people are still talking about death and dying. Um, and how can we change those myths? It was it was a difficult time to launch something like that. And did you feel the same thing? The whole stigma from that one word, that one speech of the death panels? Well, you know, as a journalist, I had seen this kind of thing happen before, and the the mistake be I mean the deliberate uh, disinformation campaign uh, about death panels, the idea that encouraging doctors to talk to patients about how they wanted to live at the end of their life was a death panel just struck me as so absurd that I didn't believe it could last and it didn't last. In the last couple of months we've heard it again though. Yes. Even though it's, it doesn't have the same momentum. But you know what's happened when you've heard it again you've seen it come up at a couple of the congressional um, uh, meetings with constituents and people have booed it because they know <laughs> it's phony. So well before they were saying, what is the government having a death pound? Now they're saying, come on, we know this is baloney. That's right. That's right. So why did you name the, the organization The Conversation Project? What is, what is behind that name? Behind it is the notion that we need to talk, that we need to bring our families to the kitchen table to have a conversation about how we want to live at the end of life, the care we want, the care we don't want before there is a crisis. So it was always about conversations. And so it seemed to us that that was an automatic, uh, understandable name. Do you believe that the, the conversation is just as important as the documents that support the conversation? I think it's more important, quite frankly, because you can have documents. But if you haven't told, for example, you can have a healthcare proxy but if you haven't told your proxy what you want, that's going to be of no value whatsoever. How can they represent your wishes when they don't know what your wishes are? Exactly. So we have a, a new kit that's just come out called How to Choose a Healthcare Proxy and How to Be a Healthcare Proxy. And it's based on the idea that you, you need to know how to pick a proxy, not just, you know, when the state attorney or the doctor slides a piece of paper across the desk to you and says, who's your healthcare proxy? And you say, huh? You know, and you fill in some name. And also sometimes people don't even know they've been named a healthcare proxy until there's a crisis. So we um, well, uh, have chosen to add that to our uh, our tools. I think that's great. Yeah. The basic Did y'all just come out with that? 
Yep, as of March 6th. Okay, so it is like hot off the presses or hot going to be hot off the presses. I think you you bring up a very key element when it comes to who should be talking on your behalf and how do we begin those conversations with our uh, proxy to make sure that they're informed. And you know this not being in healthcare, and I've seen this being in healthcare, is people don't know what they don't know until it's way too late. <laughs> That's right. And then it becomes emotional. It's emotional decisions. And I don't know about you, but you know, if, if I'm under emotional distress, I don't make the best decisions. No. I want to just say there's a wonderful expression, a crisis is a terrible time to learn. That's a great... <laughs> quote. That's a great quote. Your organization has an advisory committee with some real movers and shakers. Um, how did you grow interest in the getting these professionals to come on board and to help the conversation project meet their goals? Well, I think um, part of what's happened is that there really has been a kind of um, sea change in attitudes. Part of that is that the baby boom generation is getting older and they are dealing with their parents dying and with their own mortality. And this is a generation, let's remember, that has always, always talked about everything. <laughs> um, and so I think it was expected that this generation would be much more likely to um, talk about their wishes than previous generations. And so when I started talking with people, including, as you said, some well-respected names in the field, first of all, they all had a story themselves. And second of all, they understood that the time was right to really break through this taboo. So what does the advisory committee do? Do they do they come together via conference call once a quarter? How, how, how are they supporting the conversation project? Well, we have different advisory boards. We have different boards. And but basically we consult some individually and some as a larger group on things that are important to us about our direction and our strategy. And we've had big calls, say, once a year. And then we have much smaller one-on-one -on -one conversations um, whenever something comes up in an in individual field. And you, like I said, you know, Atul Gawande is involved with your organization, Movers and Shakers, and with his book being mortal. It, when I read that, I, I finally thought I had, I didn't meet him, but I thought I met a physician that finally got it. Um, and he had to go through a personal experience to get it. Um, but very profound. So tell me, what are the goals of the Conversation Project? Well, the Conversation Project is a public engagement campaign to ensure that everyone's wishes are expressed and respected, both parts. Those are two parts. Certainly the express part has been where we've done a lot of work to get people to talk to each other. We have our conversation starter kit, which at this point has been used by over a million people. And is fabulous, by the way. Absolutely fabulous. It's user-friendly. It's not scary. It's not medical. It's really helpful. And I think that's been one of the prime tools that we have had. And um, uh, so that's been a, a big deal for us. Over a million people using the starter conversation kit. That's amazing. 
the people that you're you are touching for sure. So recently you partnered with our friend Nathan Kotkamp with the National Healthcare Decisions Day. How are these two organizations collaborating? Well, let's just have a shout out to Nathan because he did National Healthcare Decision Day all by himself for close to almost 10 years. This is the 10th year and um I am just amazed at what he did. He created National Healthcare Decision Day to be on April 16th, which is the day after taxes are due. That notion was that two things in life we can count on are death and taxes. <laughs> and so far, that has rung true, don't you agree? Yes. So, um, so Nathan asked us, uh, I think he decided that if we were really going to push it out to make it uh, bigger than it is now. And it's been great that he needed the sort of throw weight of a larger group like like ours to um, kick it up a, a notch. And so we were delighted to uh, help. And so now we are um, uh, working with him on this 10th anniversary celebration and uh, this year, April 16th, is Easter, so we're not having a National Healthcare Decision Day. We're having a National Healthcare Decision Week. <laughs> and you guys are, are encouraging any organization. Sometimes it is mostly hospice and palliative care organizations, but you want hospitals, you want home health, you want the average churches, faith communities. How can we get involved even far away from the medical field to start talking about these issues before anyone gets sick, correct? Well, absolutely. We want people to have these conversations early before there is a crisis. And um, we also want state lawyers to have this conversation and to and uh, a whole stream of people. We think it has to go across the spectrum of people. And um, there are lots of ways that you can get involved in the National Healthcare Decision Day. Uh, just we, you can pledge on the website. Um, we have tips for organizing your own events. You can find out more on the Conversation Project website or on the nhdd.org website. Uh, and there are just lots of things that you can do to uh, see what to use your either your organization or your community. And these are a lot of great tips because, you, you know, a lot of people maybe aren't so creative, but the, you have things that are proven to work. And it's almost like a stepping stone to help people look at advanced care planning differently, but also have those vital conversations. And so it's a week long process. How do people, what if there's someone who's listening right now that wants to get involved with becoming a supporter of National Healthcare Decisions Day? Do they go to the conversation.project.org or um, nationalhealthcaredecisions.org to, to get this information? Yes, you can go to either website and get the information, nhdd.org. Uh, it's right there, and the Conversation Project it can be linked to also. Well, you know, we're past the year mark where physicians and healthcare providers have started being reimbursed under a Medicare benefit for conversations about advanced care planning. How do you think it's going? Well, it's going slowly, I would say. I think it's great that it is, um, it's on the books and that doctors are now getting paid for it, although quite minimally, they're getting paid for having conversations and not just doing procedures. That's a really important step. 
and it is important for showing people that it's showing people that this is something we can all do. So I think that's important. On the other hand, a lot of doctors don't yet know that they can do it. And a lot of uh, doctors are reluctant to start those conversations. We believe it has to be sort of embedded in annual wellness visits, in your Medicare visits, in all of those uh, places, so that it isn't just somebody says, let's talk about end-of-life care planning, and they say to the doctor, well, this is something you're not yeah, telling right. me. <laughs> yeah, because you want to normalize it. Like this is, if you're getting Medicare, it's a normal conversation we're having with those who are very, very well and very, very sick. And by the way, it has to be done with younger people too. Um, younger people, anyone over 18 needs to have a decision maker. I agree with you. You know, it goes back to as 16 year olds, when we were learning how to drive, we made an advanced care planning decision if we were going to be a donor or not. And I believe, yes, living outside uh, your parents' home and going to college or doing your own thing, someone needs to be able to speak uh, to you, even, you know, Everybody, there could be a tragic accident. We don't want to think about it, but you, we have to be prepared for the what-if scenarios. Yeah, right. Um, and it is, it's kind of a gift if you have chosen uh, and talked with some loved one. It's a gift you give them so that if there's a crisis, they don't end up feeling depressed or burdened or, I mean, they'll end up feeling, you know, loss and, and uh, 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 sadness, but they won't end up wondering for their whole lives whether they did the right thing. It also leads to some incredibly intimate and real conversations. You know, we forget that often we don't talk about real things and there's nothing quite as real as, um, how you want to live at the end of your life. So the conversation project is is almost well it's it started in 2010. We officially launched in 2012. You've been around the block. What are your hopes for the conversation project in the next 10 years? Where do you hope and how do you hope the conversation project helps change how people prepare for the end of life? I hope it becomes normalized that you don't need the conversation project that it becomes just a, a normal part of every transition, whether you've just graduated from high school, whether you've just uh, gotten married, whether you've had a, a child, whether you've turned 65, that it just becomes normalized and that everybody uh, assumes, what, you don't have an advanced directive? You know, you haven't had this conversation with the people you love, it just becomes normal and then we can declare victory and leave the field. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? But yet, a lot of people, they don't want to talk about it. I do believe the baby boomers have kicked the door wide open for these end-of-life conversations. I believe there's still a lot of challenges out there to connect and, and somehow unfragment the process of having our wishes um, and what we desire at, at end of life. But it's almost like a birthing plan. You know, you can plan for nine months that you want a natural birth, but on that day, you might be screaming up or dural as you wheel yourself in. If you're a woman, <laughs> wheel yourself into the hospital. But you've thought about it. And I think that's also a, a really key element is that 
and that's supported by the conversations you have to think. And that's why the conversations are so important. Do you agree? Well, it's interesting that you use the birth analogy because we always use it in a different way. We say that, uh, that we're changing death the way we changed birth in America. Cause a long time ago, uh, it wasn't doctors who said, you know, please come into the birthing room, bring your husband, bring the video camera, let's have a baby in the bathtub. You know, it was <laughs> it was really uh, families who said uh, that uh, birth is a natural part of life. And now we are saying that death is a natural part. It's not a medical event. It's a human event. I love that. I think Ira Bayak says that too. Is is it? It's not a medical event. It's it's a it's a human event. It's an experience. That's right. You know, I I can't tell you the amazing work that you are doing. You're changing lives, and I believe your mother's legacy is the conversation project. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> well, you know, as we grow older, we think about how we're going to be remembered, and and our legacy. What is our footprint? And your mother and your experience has created something that are changing how other people face end of life. And based on some of your comments recently, you do believe that the community can change healthcare, don't you? Oh, absolutely. It's all the only thing that can. I believe that too. What's really great about the Conversation Project is that the community can make its own movement toward changing the healthcare and getting the healthcare that they desire by having the conversation. Agreed. So tell us one more time, where can we find the Conversation Project? How can we support the Conversation Project? And and how can we get involved? Um, you can find the Conversation Project on our website, which is theconversationproject.org. That's theconversationproject.org, all one word. And you can find all of our kits there. There's the Conversation Starter Kit. There's the How to Talk to Your Doctor Kit. Is it all, is it free or is there a charge? Free. It's all free. You can print out as many as you like for yourself and for your family and for your faith congregation and for your office, whatever you like. And we also have a kit for families of children who have serious illness and a kit that is close to my heart, too, for uh, families of people with Alzheimer's and other dementias, which has been really very well received from families who have often said, you know, yeah, but what if my loved one can't talk about it anymore? So we've got some great help. And now we have this new toolkit, which is how to choose a healthcare proxy and how to be a healthcare proxy. I think those are all great documents. And please visit theconversationproject.org. April 16th is around the corner between now that you've got two big hitters, Nathan caught camp with the National Healthcare Decisions Day, you, Ellen, with the Conversation Project. It is time to have these conversations. I cannot tell you um, how much I appreciate your time. Um, Thank you for doing all the good work that you're doing and helping people change how they face end of life. Well, thank you, Kimberly. This has been great. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.